the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. With comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around your teams, The Athletic delivers everything you need and every sports story that matters. Download the app for exclusive ad-free content today. Visit theathletic.com slash track and get 40% off your first year subscription today. That's theathletic.com slash track. We are also provided by Balance Bridge Funding. Cost-friendly capital solutions to professional athletes for almost seven years now. Balance Bridge has dedicated professionals who understand this industry and can customize a plan catered to your client's financial situation. Borrow wisely borrow cost-effectively, and avoid fees. And when you pay it back early, which many athletes do, there's no prepayment penalties. Whether your client is currently under contract and needs a bridge against those upcoming earnings, a free agent looking to invest in their next deal, or looking to borrow money for any other reasons, let Balanced Bridge take a look, provide a solution, and be your resource today. Visit balancedbridge.com. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Wednesday, Thursday, whenever you're listening. It's a football basketball show today. Top of the show, I'm going to break down five tough transactions. So, you know, we know what we know now about the season. Let's look back. A couple of trades that happened, a couple of extensions that happened, a couple of extensions that recently happened, and just kind of going through them with a, with a fine-tooth comb. What went wrong? What went right? What's the future outlook for some of these players and some of these teams? Because uh, some of them can be really forcing teams' hands. You know, some of them have such implications from a draft perspective, from a financial perspective, that it's going to change the way that those teams have to operate in 2022. So five tougher transactions that we saw happen over the past 12 months or so. And then back into the show, Scott Allen joins. Dame Lillard's been been mouthy. He knows what he wants, and he wants it in Portland. At least that's what we think. Scott's going to break down those kind of demands, an extension, GM, GM discussions, coaching discussions, uh, is it a, is it a kind of a backhanded trade request out of Dame Lillard? What does that mean for Portland? What does that mean for other teams? As uh, the December fifteenth trade restriction list for a lot of players and that February trade deadline approaches, what kind of activity could we see and could Dame be a part of that conversation? So that's the back end of the show, as well. All right, last show I broke down the top ten free agent contracts from the last NFL offseason and how it's looking right now. Mostly positive, a couple of duds for sure, a couple of uh, TBDs and, you know, a couple injuries that are holding things up a little bit. For, but for the most part, teams really didn't overspend too much outside of the Patriots, and we all know how that's working out. So a little different angle today. Um, I'm going to call this one tough transactions, which is, you know, we're uh, about two-thirds away into the season now, officially. So four or five games left for some of these teams. We know what we know. And, you know, there's going to be a couple of teams that pop up out of the middle of this pack and at least make a run towards and into that postseason. But from a player perspective, I think we can assess things pretty frankly now. And what I've done is I've found five transactions that have impacted this 2021 season, positively or negatively, that are not working out so great for one side or the other. And I'm going to break down as much as possible about each. So obviously, this stem from Jamal Adams. All right. I, I'm not a former NFL safety. I'm not a former NFL anything. So I'm not going to be able to sit here and tell you all the little intangible things about Jamal Adams or, or a star safety that doesn't necessarily show up in a box score. And I'm sure that, you know, the Lewis Riddicks and, and those kind of guys out there that do this for a living and did that for a living love this guy. He hits, he works his ass off. He's probably a crazy good locker locker room leader and maybe an on-field leader as well, which is a big part of that position. So I'm not discounting the player. But what I do know is how to value draft picks and the packing order of how NFL rosters should be built financially. And when we've got a non-quarterback that was traded for a starting player, Bradley McDougald, two first-round picks, and a third-round pick. And that player is not a quarterback. It better be a Hall of Fame wide receiver, a Hall of Fame left tackle, 
or a Hall of Fame edge rusher, you know, the second coming of Lawrence Taylor. And, and outside of that, and, and even some of that is wishy-washy. But it's not. Okay, this was, a, this was a, you know, run-stuffing safety is what Jamal Adams is when you look at the numbers. So this was always going to be really tough to sell to the general populace because of what they had to give up. And I get it. There was probably a bidding war for this guy. Not many teams had a great safety. The safety market really hadn't exploded yet. It did like a minute after this trade processed. And if Jamal Adams was worth 13 to 14 million, the second he was traded, it was going to be 17, 18 million because A, other safeties were about to sign contracts and B, this trade compensation, it's just, you throw everything out the window when you're doing valuations. You throw it out. Laramie Tunzel, throw it out the window. Jalen Ramsey, throw it out the window. Whenever Russell Wilson gets traded and needs a new contract, throw it out the window. He's going to the top of the line. So it's just where we are right now. And draft picks are worth so much that they have that they forcibly inflate the contract that player will be signing with that new team. That's what it is. And three top 100 picks equals 18 million for Jamal Adams. Now, he has been productive. All right, nine and a half sacks last year in just 12 games played. The availability part of it is really one of the bigger problems, and he's out for the rest of the year here with a torn labrum. Okay, and he, he even has a couple of picks this year to go with it. So I, I do like the player, and I'm not completely crapping on the fact that they gave up a lot and they won the bidding war to get this guy in had, and forcibly had to sign him to an extension. But knowing what we know now, and I, and I think... I don't think we're I don't think we're crazy to have assumed that this was coming a year and a half ago. You know, the Seahawks are going down everywhere. Certainly defensively, certainly from a quarterback position, certainly from a weapon it's all down. Coach's coach is probably gone after this year. So now you're going to be stuck with a whole brand new regime, a couple of nice weapons and an 18 million dollar safety. Now it looks even worse. So to me there's you know, there's no way to look at this. And here's the other thing. And when you have a guy who who is intangibles first, you know, boring stats second, which is this what what Jamal Adams is as a defensive back, you you just tend to think that his advanced metrics are going to be crushing it because the advanced stuff kind of hones in on what this guy actually is from a fit standpoint, from a positional standpoint. You know, he's not picking balls off, but he's stuffing that run. When he was with the Jets his advanced metrics were off the charts, all of them. Now he's with Seattle. And, and I'm telling you, the, the, the grades, the pro football focus grades for this guy have dropped 25 to 30 points over the past two years. He's averaging like a 61 out of 100. So I don't even know what to say anymore. He's, the, he's like the 64th ranked safety this year, according to pro football focus. Take, for, you know, take that with what you will, but... Nothing looks good for him. And a lot of it is time missed. I get that. But this is a really tough one for Seattle to have to chew off now because of now as a team where they're going. The only good news I can give you is, well, A, he's a nice player. He's not a, I don't think he's an elite player. He's a nice player. But this, because of Seattle's sort of strict contract policy, which is basically, we'll guarantee that first year and then it's guarantee as you go, they're going to be able to get out of this thing, whether, that's, whether that makes him more tradable or whether it makes him cuttable at some point. So next year is basically guaranteed. It's going to lock in at the Super Bowl. And, you know, less than 3 million of 2023 will be guaranteed at some point. But he's going to be, in my opinion, he's going to be moved on from after 2022. So it's one more year. And now he's not healthy. So you got to take that into account in terms of injury guarantees and stuff. But to me, they gave up a lot of draft picks. They can never get those back. But contractually speaking, we can talk about how it's 18 million a year and four years, 70 million. It's going to be out after two, in my opinion. I saw one more year of this, and I think they'll be able to wipe their hands. New coach, maybe new GM at that point, if Russell has to get traded. Just a lot of carnage coming, I think, in Seattle. All right, next, Sam Darnold. Similar conversation, except we're talking about a quarterback here. Okay? On paper, and to me, Carolina taking a chance on Sam Darnold when they did was probably the right move. Made a little bit of sense. There were options. They tried to get Stafford. They tried to get a couple of players out there. 
they fell they fell into Sam Darnold. You know, Deshaun Watson was that situation was active, and then obviously the legal stuff came in and everything went on the back burner. So they attempted to do better than than Sam Darnold is my opinion is my opinion here. They ended up with Sam Darnold. They gave up a second, a fourth, and a sixth. Would they like those back? Yes. They paid four point seven million this year. Would they like that back? Yes. <laughs> they have eighteen point eight million guaranteed next year. Are they going to want that back? Yes. Are they going to be able to get rid of that? Possibly. Maybe they're maybe they're eating nine of it. Convert nine into a signing bonus. Eat that. Trade him for get the sixth round pick back maybe, and uh, let somebody take him on one year's nine million. Possible. That's possible. But no matter what happens, they took a swing. It didn't work out. Now Cam Newton's making six million to finish off this season in his place. And they're probably not looking back because this is a quarterback. To me, it's a way different conversation. To me, you try everything to get a quarterback and a young guy who was in a bad situation with the jets, not unlike Jamal Adams, by the way, you're willing to take a risk on that. You're willing to overpay a little bit to get that in here. So I applaud Carolina and I'll I'll applaud them this up this coming this year when they're back on the trade block, looking at Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson and Deshaun again, and Jimmy Garoppolo. And they're also a top 10 draft pick looking at one of those players, Kenny Pickett, whatever it's going to be. They're actively looking for the right position, in my opinion. And they're acquiring cornerbacks so they can stop the pass in their division, which is pass heavy. I, I, I do like what's happening. It's just this current roster as it exists is all over the place. It's all over the place. It's like jazz music. It's in and down and up and in and left and right. And you kind of see that. And when you don't have McCaffrey, you see it a lot more. It's it's exposed just how clunky this roster is. But I, I, I think they're in a no-care situation until they figure out this position. So it didn't work. It's a huge swing and a miss. It's going to be a bigger swing and a miss financially next year, whether they pay the $19 million to, to keep him around, pay the $19 million to cut him, or like I said, take on half of it and trade him for the other half. But this one's tough for sure. And I, I don't know that Sam Darnold finds himself a starting gig in this league anymore. Naheem Hines, running back Indiana, Indiana, Indianapolis Colts. Uh, certainly not the lead dog there, but that's not why they paid him. So they extended him to a three-year $18.6 million contract right at about week one of this 2021 season. It raised some eyebrows for a couple of reasons. Number one, Jonathan Taylor was Jonathan Taylor. Number two, they had brought back Marlon Mack on basically a minimum contract for one year. So it was always always going to be a shared property. Here's the thing, though. This guy's a, he's a pass catcher first. He's a third running back second. And they were paying him accordingly, $6 million plus to go out there and catch 60 balls. The problem is it's not going to happen. You know, he's on 40 now. He's on pace for about 41. And he's on pace for about 340 yards rushed which is less than 16 games last year. So his production's way down. Part of that is Jonathan Taylor's way up. Another part of it is new quarterback. You know, Carson Wentz's system is probably a little bit different than what Rivers was doing and whatnot. There's less check down in, in this offense. They do have some playmakers, Pittman and, and Pascal, and those guys that can get downfield. They are looking to push the ball downfield more with Carson Wentz and a big arm. So it's a little bit of a... Did we put the card before the horse on this guy? But similar to the Adams situation, the contract isn't a killer. All right. Like, let's say they do 2022. Basically, what we have here is a one year, $10.6 million payout for two years, right? He had 2.1 million this year before the extension. Now it's 10.6 million for two years, this year and next year. So the extension in new money with one more year is one year, 8.4 million. It's too much. You know, he shouldn't be more than $6 million a year by, by any degree as a pass-catching running back. But you can get out of the contract after that. I think because of these numbers, he's probably here for two more years and because they will find a way to get him 50 catches a year. But, you know, that's two new years, $13.2 million for Hines, which is 6.6 .6 per year. That's more than Kareem Hunt. That's more than Austin Eckler. You know, we'll see with some of these other running backs that catch balls. It's high. It's probably a million dollars too high per year. You know, if, if, if you're telling me this is five and a half million for a guy who can catch 50 balls and be a, a goal line factor in the run game, that's fine. But I do think they went a little high on this and maybe did this a little bit early, in my opinion. 
All right, a positive one, kind of. Trent Brown, the right tackle, Trent Brown. So if you remember in March last year, well, this year, this past March, there was a week right before the new league year started where the Las Vegas Raiders decided to tell the world that they hated their offensive line (laughs) and they were going to get rid of everybody and start over from scratch. And we were all freaking out. And then they signed Colton Miller to a left tackle contract. And he's been fine, by the way. And for the most part, that's worked out for them. So sort of a good news for them. The problem I have with it is they sent Trent Brown back to New England. And you can say, fine, he's only played five games this year. He's been injured. He was injured with them for basically a year and a half in Las Vegas as a Raider. So, you know, his career was trending downward as it was. So for them to just send him to New England for a fifth round pick, it was probably right on value at that point. Maybe, but you were sending him back to New England. The fact that New England wanted him at all should have been red flag number one. That, hey, maybe we should value this guy a little bit higher. Because why would they be taking his trash after they just had a two, you know, $175 million spending season? So the, the reason I'm bringing this up is, obviously, Belichick knew what he was doing here. And he wanted some familiarity, familiarity back on that offensive line to go with Isaiah Wynn, who's young, good left tackle, David Andrews, who came back this year and has solidified the the middle of that offensive line. And now you bring in the right tackle. And like I said, he's been in and out with COVID and injuries and stuff. But he has solidified that right line and he has solidified that core in the locker room. And if you read any of the stories coming out of New England, David Andrews is talking about it. Trent, Trent Brown is kind of that glue guy. And Trent Brown and Mac Jones together, it's a good fit. This should have been... So easy to figure out when we saw this trade happen. They traded Mar- New England traded Marcus Cannon to Houston to get rid of the spot. They acquired Trent Brown from Las Vegas to bring in the familiar, familiar face. This is just another example of them figuring out, hey, we're going to be good. We know what we're doing. Now, they didn't know they were going to have Mac Jones at this point, but they knew what they needed to do to get themselves back in the conversation in the AFC. And three or four things later, and here we are. So it's a positive for New England. It's one of those situations where Las Vegas probably should have said, hey, if they're calling for this guy, we should probably be a little bit stringier with what we have to get back in this conversation. But, you know, we can't seem to learn on Belichick and his uh, crazy moves. Speaking of crazy, I'm going to end on this. Um, One of the greatest tweets I saw over the past couple of weeks is that Taysom Hill is a living, breathing NFT. Nobody really understands what it is. It just keeps making more money. Somebody thinks it has a lot of value and, you know, we just continue to talk about it over and over again, right? That's, it's just one of the best tweets I saw. It's so perfect because on paper and in media reports, it looks like Taysom Hill has made $200 million. Now, if you're listening to this show, you know, that's not the case. You know, that's never going to be the case, but you know, if you just kind of bear this out from a media report standpoint, it's hilarious. So March 14th, 2021, what is that? Eight months ago, eight and a half months ago, we, it's announced that the New Orleans Saints have extended Taysom Hill to a four-year, $140 million contract. I know you all remember this because the world shut down for a minute and a half when it was reported. Obviously, it's not a $140 million contract. In fact, he's already out of that contract. That was a one-year, $10 million contract and change that simply... Lowered a, it was a it was a simple contract restructure that lowered his cap hit for 2021 from 16.1 to 7.25 with four void years. That's it. So now we get to the contract number two, which hit what two weeks ago now. The the a number one reason for that contract happening is they wanted to keep him on the roster in some capacity, whether that's he's going to be the Plan C quarterback for 2022. Or he's going to be continue to be this gadget guy, tight end, fullback, whatever the hell he's going to be, special teamer. The, the most important thing was keeping him on the roster for one more year, which is what they've done here. It is a true four-year, $40 million extension. It has real salaries. It has a real roster bonus next year. All right? There's really no void years yet. I think there'll be one soon, but I'll get to that in a second. So it's a real extension. So instead of $8.9 million of dead cap, hitting their table next next March, which is what the previous extension would have done because of the void years. They've simply extended him out 
which allows that dead cap to remain spread out. Now, his cap hit for 2022 actually went from 8.9 up to 12.3. However, and I alluded to it before here, there's a $9 million roster bonus in March. They're going to restructure that, which means that $12.3 million cap hit, when you add a void year on the back end of that four-year extension, is going to drop to $5.1 million. So they're going to have Taysom Hill at $5.1 million of cap next year, in my opinion, if they fully restructure that roster bonus. So that's where we are here. So in essence, you get to keep him on the roster. It's a true four-year extension if they want to keep him for that long at, at, at decent caps, uh, cash hits, you know, $9, $10, 11000000 million over the next four years each, which is about what they've been paying him as it is. And at the end of the day, after they restructure him again, they're going to lower that cap hit from what was 8.9, what is 12.3, down to 5.1. That's the Saints. We know how this works. I mean, there's always a cap reason behind everything. And that's how they have to operate. They always live so close to the vest that they have to make these kind of moves. They certainly like the player. I am not discounting the fact that that Sean Payton has some sort of affinity for Taysom Hill because I don't think anybody in the world has gotten more opportunities than Taysom Hill has. And he's 31 years old. And, and quickly, just to run through what happens if he becomes the quarterback, because I think he is going to be the quarterback for the next four weeks here. Um, just to be given reps, because I do think there's a world where he's the starting quarterback week one, 2022 for the New Orleans Saints. So financially speaking, what does that mean? Let's assume that happens. He's got to get to 224 pass attempts for anything to matter from an incentive standpoint. And what does that mean? So Drew Brees averaged 36 attempts per game in his career in New Orleans, 36. Because of the running ability of Taysom Hill, I'm going to drop that down to 25 per game. Let's just say he averages 25 passes a game as a starting quarterback. That means he needs nine full games as a quarterback to really get into that conversation of 224 pass attempts, after which total yards, wins, playoffs, playoff wins, all that stuff pays him out more and more and more and more upwards of big time bucks if he does it on an annual basis. But it's year to year. He's got to hit that threshold, and then he can start to earn more money from a bonus standpoint. It's not likely, in my opinion. Nine games is a long time. I mean, how many quarterbacks actually make it to nine games and then continue on? I mean, think about Minshew. Think about Foles. Think about all these kind of middling quarterbacks, especially at 31 years old, that, that get 10 weeks. That's a, it's a lot of weeks in this league before you know, Twitter and front offices and the fan bases just explode and say, get, me, get this guy the hell out of there. So... I don't think it's likely in any regard that this guy plays nine games next year as a starting quarterback, but it's possible. What do I think is likely? I think I've mentioned it before in the show, but I want to say it now. I think the what if for New Orleans this offseason is Russell Wilson. For me, it's been two years of building up to this. And, you know, the Stafford and McVay stuff is another element of this. Certainly Brady leaving was an element of that. Rodgers being on the market is going to make this an even like a, a better one-two punch. But Russell Wilson, for me, his best landing spot is this New Orleans Saints. And I know you're all screaming. What, what about how are they going to be able to handle Russell Wilson's cap hit? You're, they're going to have to be able to handle whatever his tradable cap hit is out of the gate. All right. So that's a, that's a $37 million cap hit right now for 2022. Now, it's going to be the off season when this happens. You know, you're going to have, you're not going to, have to be able to be cap compliant. It's top 51 cap compliant at that point. There's going to be a lot of maneuvering as the Saints generally do in March. They're going to restructure Russell Wilson the second he gets in the door. He's going to have a huge contract. He's going to have a $5 million cap hit or something around there for 2022. Similar to what Taysom has. Let's be honest. That's how this works. So I just think that's the right matchup. I think it's the right matchup for both both sides. I think he's the right quarterback to come in and keep this ship, ship afloat in New Orleans with Peyton and his brilliant mind. And I do think that that Russell Wilson deserves this kind of fresh start with an offense that continually throws money at itself. And there's a decent offensive line here. I like the running game situation mixed with Wilson. I think he's been missing that, especially with Carson being injured so often. I do think that this is a, a really plausible phase two for his career. Um, 
Is this one of those cities that he and his wife approved? I don't know. I, I don't even know the validity of that. It seems weird that an agent would say that at that point in time, but I, I like where this is headed. Now, Pittsburgh is going to be involved. Carolina is going to be involved. You know, there's going to be plenty of teams. Denver, certainly with a lot of these guys. I like this one specifically. I'm going to call this one out early because I think some of the moves we're going to see early with New Orleans may be building towards generating some space, generating some, maybe adding weapons. Maybe part of it is getting rid of Michael Thomas and bringing in another able-bodied wide receiver from free agency slash a trade. Uh, I, I do think there'll be a buildup where this conversation will happen and Russell Wilson to New Orleans is going to be one of the major headlines. So I'm prepared for it. I think that financially speaking, it works on both sides or can work based on how, you know, the manipulation happens. The cap cap gymnastics, as they like to call it, can, uh, can be made in New Orleans and Taysom Hill is a big part of this conversation. So like I said, yes, it's a real extension. No, it's not, you know, a $40 million signing bonus that they can, that, that he gets in his hand. It is a traditional, he's, he's a $10 million per year guy. That's what he is. It's overpaid in my opinion, but it is what he is. And his cap hit after a restructure will be $5 million next year. So don't freak out too much about what Taysom Hill is going to be for the Saints. All right, let's talk some basketball with Scott Allen. All right, Scott, for years, really, Dame Lillard has kind of been the good soldier, you know, turned down all requests, you know, no trade demands officially on the record. He just gone out there and played ball. It's been pretty one-sided ball, right? <laughs> Lots of offense, not a lot of defense. So all that said, are we here now simply because there's a shakeup in the front office and Dame feels like he's empowered because of it and he can start to maybe control some of those decisions and this franchise can now truly run through him? Mm. Or am I overthinking I, I that? think it's... I, I think you're overthinking that. I think there's it's a combination of front office and shambles, the the coaching, uh, right. calling out the players, either, yeah. not not happy with the coach, um, and because he was the good soldier all the way through the off season. I mean, he was saying, "I'm not going to demand a trade. I'm I'm going to be here. This is where I want to be." And now the the the, the tune is kind of changing. Right. Or is it? <laughs> or, or, or is it right? Because, uh, you know, with, with him saying, uh, you know, you've got the extension route, I'll sign the extension Let's in 2022. Let's talk about it. He's, he's in, is it the first year of this recent extension? Is that what we're looking at here? It is. Okay. So he 39.3 million. Yeah. So he, you know, he agreed to that extension back in 2019, two years early. It has officially Correct. kicked in as of this year. He's now asking essentially for a two-year extension that won't kick in until 2025, right? His player option in 24 automatically vests and you tack on two years after that. So it's this year plus five more years is what he's basically asking for slash demanding here, which is basically a career. That's it. You're running through age 36, 37 ish. You know, you're basically saying this is my team forever now. I want to, I want to finish here. I want to be highly compensated to finish here and all decisions that are made for this franchise have to be built around me. That's what he's saying. Now, do you think he really means that? Or is that really just his way to say it's either all or get me the H out of here without having to say, get me the H out of here. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like is is any any new GM going to come in and honestly make that priority number one? I mean, there's a lot of negatives. There's a lot of red flags with what, he, what he's asking for, obviously. I mean, the biggest one being 36 years old, $59 million or whatever, $55 million. So, you know, I, I don't know that Portland can hire somebody who's going to play ball with that right out of the gate. Yeah, it, it is definitely a tricky situation. On his side, he's probably thinking, if I can milk this cow to get every dollar out of Portland that I can, where I'm getting the extension ahead of time. I'm going to have a 51 and a $55 million salaries in 25 and 26. And then 
you know, once that extension restriction lifts, I could be traded still and have those salaries on, on the books. All right, let's talk about so, that. Let's talk about that. Can he be traded? We had Keith Smith put a piece I, together I think, this afternoon for us, Scott. And I love the, the direction he took this piece. I gave him basically no, you know, no bullet points. I said, just give me thoughts on Dame financially. And what does it mean for trade stuff? That's all I said to him. And the direction he took it, Scott, was it's fine and Portland may comply, but buyer beware because if he, yes. if he continues to decline and, you know, let's say that what they build around Dame actually works and then it's age 34, age 35, are we now looking at a John Wall situation where there's two years left on that deal? Dame is way past his prime and there's 106 to go. <laughs> Right. And then it's not tradable unless you're sending your own major assets and picks to go with it. So is that worth the risk for Portland? Is that something the Portland Trailblazers have to do like a mid-market baseball team would have to do, you know, or like the Anaheim Angels did for Albert Pujols? You know, you're getting four years, but you got to pay 10. Is that essentially what 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 the situation is going to be for Portland here? Or like I said, again, does new GM come in and say, no, no, that's way too much to bite off right now. Like I, I need, because you know how I think if you're thinking six years down the road, you're thinking wrong, right? Correct. You got to be thinking too. So if new GM comes in and says, you're a hell of a player, but I'm not, I'm not going to risk my neck for fifth year and sixth year on Dame Lillard just to give myself a chance. By the way, Dame Lillard right now in this current iteration is a fringe play in team. So it's not like he's, you know, and I know you want to bring in Steph Curry at some point here. It's not like he is doing that or has done that with this team, put this team on his back and made them legit contenders. That has never been the case. They have gotten farther than they probably should have because he's been excellent at times, but he's never been able to just say, let's go guys. So why would a new GM give him that right now? That's a great point. And it's not like the Portland trailblazers haven't made moves. I mean, they traded That's for right. uh, Larry Nance Jr. They've brought in Covington. They've they've made moves. Some of them didn't work. Some of them s- sort of did. But the team has been underperforming in the playoffs. And if the new GM feels we need to just blow it up and move on, then yeah. you know that th- that's for the front office to have to figure Should out. Should be his or her priority GM. too. It should be and his should. priority. The fact that Dame's kind of getting involved right now, it's understandable because that's where NBA superstars are now. They're involved. There's no question about it. And those that aren't try to get the heck out of town. So I, if, if I had to put money on this conversation, I think Dame's traded next offseason. I think the new front office comes in and says the extension, you know, you're probably worth the extension to a lot of teams, but where we're going, it doesn't make sense for us. So let's find a partner. Let's team up. You know, let's find a third team. The problem with that is, you know, if Ben Simmons is part of this conversation, I don't know if they can wait till the offseason. So I guess let's bring that side of the story into this conversation, Scott. Mm -hmm. Is that a real thing? Is that, and I I don't know, I don't have it in front of me. Is Dame Clutch? (laughs) No, he's not. Okay. So it's not just agent agent on agent crime here, right? It's, this could be a real thing. And by the way, and I was on a radio show yesterday where I kind of was able to speak this out a little bit. They're the third worst defensive team in the league. And they're consistently at the bottom of the defensive list, Portland, because of injuries, because of a lack of a, of a true big man, because Dame doesn't play defense. Let's be honest. Ben Simmons would be a great upgrade for that. A great upgrade for that. So if that's the angle you're taking, it's a nice fit. Do you think that's a possibility here? And, 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 and take it down the road of does Daryl Morey want CJ McCollum? (laughs) Is it a possibility? Yes. Sure. Would Morey want McCollum? Possibly. He's always looking for shooters. Um, but you know, is McCollum considered that elite superstar that Morey is wanting? Probably not. Two and a half so, years, ninety million left on him too. Yeah, so that's nuts. It, it, are, are you going to trade the uh, 
you know, elephant in the room of Ben Simmons for a McCollum, you know, I don't know. There's going to have to be other pieces in that too. And it could come down to a three team trade. Maybe, That's maybe it's not even McCollum's going to Philly. Maybe it's Simmons is going to Portland. McCollum is going to Dallas team third. Yep. And to me, you got to get a Dallas or a Boston or one of these other nine or 10 seeds involved. I think you're right on that, Scott. Yeah. So, but I'm going to say the possibility is there that this something could happen because as we've seen in the last few years here, the money is almost a a non-entity as far as being moved. 40 million can be moved as long as you structure it the way you want it to. It's sort of like dead cap in the NFL. Teams just figure a way around it if they want it to happen. Um, So I, I feel that if Dame wants Simmons and the right pieces are there for the trade to work out, then is that a good enough scenario for Portland to truly consider it as their next phase? Or is it just easier to trade Dame Lillard in your opinion? It's probably easier to trade Dame Lillard. Knowing you're going to be at the bottom um, and of the blow, standings, and, right? and blow it up because yeah. as soon as you, it's going to be a similar situation with the Houston Rockets. As yeah. soon as Westbrook was out, then Harden was out, and the, everyone knew what was going on. As soon as Lillard is, is moved, they're just going to blow everything up, and it's going to be a, it's similar to what it, we just saw yesterday with mm-hmm. the Indiana Pacers saying we're open for business. If if the Portland Trailblazers say we're open for business, it's going to be Lillard gone. It's going to be probably McCollum gone. You're probably not going to move Powell unless you really like him because you just signed him as a free agent. But there's other pieces that could move too. So if that's the route they want to go and that GM, whoever he or she is that comes in, they're they're going to have to decide, do we blow this up? Or can we truly build around Dame, which they've been trying for years? They Like I said, they brought in players. They, they traded for Powell and then re-signed him as a free agent. So they've done what they can, um, at least under that old regime, can a new regime see a different light? I, I don't know. They're consistently top seven or eight in cash spending. So they you're, are you're dead on here. What you're saying is dead on. They, they, they annually try. And to some degree, it is the Anaheim Angels, <laughs> right? It, it, you know, they know they have this guy in Mike Trout. And, and there's a couple of other guys now that they brought in, certainly. And they just keep trying to throw money at it. And it just doesn't hit. It, it feels like the exact same team in a different sport. Um, for one reason or another, injuries, just bad fits. Um, I don't know the right way forward here. I, I like, I do, I'll, I'll say this. I like that Dame is talking because it means that the frustration is really starting to get to him, which is, a, I think it's a good thing. He's, he's a superstar and he's yeah. really fun to watch and he's really good for the league. So I want, I want to know that he cares. And this is now an, an indication that he truly cares about getting that thing to the finish line. So in that regard, I'm happy that he's being vocal about it. I think he's gone a little too far with, I want to have, you know, I want to have a part of the GM search and I want to have my, you know, my, my voice in his ear saying, this is what I need to stay here. And to me, it's gone a little too far. Maybe that's exaggerated from Shams and and Woj a little bit, but I I get it. And I I appreciate at his stage of his career that he is no longer, you know, content with, just going through the motions and being one of those superstars who's great singularly and has, and has been on good teams, but never won the championship. Yeah. And it's, it's similar to Russell Wilson conversation, Deshaun Watson, yeah. not having say in who was hired in those situations. It's sort of the player empowerment era. If I'm a superstar, I feel like I should have, said say in GM or coach or whatever the organization is going to go. My, my pushback is in the new CBA when it comes up in a couple years, Hmm. I'm interested to see if there's going to be some language where the extension talk gets re renegotiated. You know, he, he's can sign an extension this summer that we talked about. and, And that's with, two years plus a player option left on his contract. Do, do, does it need to go to where extensions are the reverse where you can only do an extension with one year left or, uh, you know, 
two years fully left. So are you saying this is bad for basketball? Because, you know, one of the questions that we can talk about is which player that's been paid this early has ever has actually, you know, made it worth the team's time. There's just not an example of this. And Embiid's going to be another example of it being, you know, gone wrong, in my opinion. So that's why I bring it up team. But it's it does put the onus back on the team. Here's what I like about it, Scott. And I don't want to I don't want to seem like I'm crapping on Dame too much here. Because you're right, he is just the next iteration of this. We've been seeing this for a decade in the NBA, and we're starting to see it a lot in the NFL now as well. It is, It does force the team's hand to constantly be in and constantly attempt to win championships versus let's just try to be a playoff team. You know what I mean? It, it, it constantly brings that Portland from dropping their spending habits a little bit and just trying to get in and hope that they can catch lightning in a bottle versus... If I put these kind of demands on you, there's nothing you can do but go all in every single year for the next four to five to six years. So I like it from that standpoint that there's a competitive advantage that Dame is forcing upon his franchise. Now you can look at it from the from the you know the left and the right, but I'd rather have this than a guy who is fine going to a bad team and just kind of going through the motions. To me, that's the worst part of of any sport we have. And we do have plenty of players who are happy just to make their money and do it. And I am saying Carmelo Anthony out loud. Okay. Carmelo Anthony is the exact opposite of what's happened over the past five years in basketball, which is guys are, guys are making hundreds of million dollars and they just want to freaking win. It's, it's the best. It's the best part about this sport right now. And to your point, Scott, you know, you talk Russell, you talk Aaron Rodgers and those kind of guys. It, it is and it isn't the same because Steph Curry, LeBron, they can, they can win a championship on their own. It's possible. Five guys on a court, but if one or two of them is that much better than everybody else consistently over a season and certainly through a playoff run, they can win the whole damn thing themselves. So certainly Russell can't do that. Aaron Rodgers can't do that, even though he's had moments. So it is a little different here where if Dame does get the right situation and, you know, maybe he's not that one single guy, but he's good enough, he can really affect a championship kind of outcome. So... Just your general thoughts, Scott. Do you think this is too much from Dame? Because we kind of have to evaluate this player empowerment as it goes, right? I mean, everybody's going to have a little different element. I'm going to say yes, and and that's the reason I sort of brought up the extension conversation. If there was some different rules to when players can sign another extension, I don't know if we're necessarily having the conversation of extension or trade. Mm. Maybe it's just trade me or, you know, he just is sitting on his hands and and just going with the flow. But now that there's the extension possibility in the summer, now it's going to ramp up and and his camp is going to play a, a, a chicken with the new GM that comes in and the ownership and saying, I, I want this money. Or can I ask you a a semantics question? I know there's a lot of restrictions that I'm almost always never aware of. Is this an extension, Scott, that only Portland can offer him? If he gets traded, is this extension no longer on the table for him because it's like a super max kind of thing? No, they could they could extend him because it would be just a veteran extension. Okay, so the trade doesn't nullify that at all. No, the the designated stuff is for like if you were on your rookie scale and you were traded or being with the team for a certain amount of period and and that kind of stuff. In his case, he's so his salaries are so high. It's just going to be a normal veteran extension. So he could be traded now or next offseason and then he could sign an extension with said team if it ever got to that point. Can I give you an idea that, I mean, I mean, I don't listen to basketball radio or television or, you know, I watch the games. I don't really break down the analysis too much with this sport because there's just so much else going on. Is it not the, the is it not a terrible idea to consider a Westbrook for, for Lillard move here? Why isn't this being talked about? <laughs> you know what, that's it. That's a, actually a, I never even thought of I it. I mean, Westbrook loves salaries. having his own damn team. Portland's going to have nothing left after this is over, right? So let just let just let Russ go and cook there for whatever he has left in his career. And Portland will will live with being a fringe playoff team with him, which is what OKC was for all those years, right? And Dame plus LeBron and AD is a miracle. <laughs> That's a miracle. 
Now, there's not a lot of defense there, but is that the dumbest idea in the world? And is there any kind of trade restriction on the, on those guys that I don't know about? No, it's it's not a dumb idea, especially where Westbrook ends up having a player option next year, which he's going to exercise because it's $47 million. But then he he's out of contract. Kind of aligns so, with McCollum, right? Yeah. Well, it, it aligns, but because it's an expiring contract, you he can go by the wayside if somehow he is able to go out as a free agent and sign as a, a mm. sign and trade, Portland could get something back immediately. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to get something back immediately with Lillard, but what I'm trying to say is it's Lillard a good roster fit too. It's not, it's not like they're taking on a huge contract, right? Right. Lillard has three years. Do you want to offset that with a Russell Westbrook that's going to be expiring? And then it opens up more options for you in a way where, like I said, the sign and trade or um, you just let them go. And potentially if you move some other pieces, maybe you end up having cap space going that's into right. said years that, you know, maybe the cap goes up. Well, you ripped the bandit off in 2024 when that cap should be like 130, right? Right. And, and by then there's going to be a potential new CBA right. and who knows what's going to be in that. So do you want to allow yourself some flexibility going into that? Or do you want to be locked into Dame until 2026 that, which could be three years into a, a CBA. Uh, so it, it is a lot of, isn't it fascinating trying to think what this new GM is going to step into with, because this is all on the table. This is all, you know, this isn't crazy. No, it's not crazy at all. And and you mentioned it at the top, you know, with Steph, um, it's very similar situation where Steph extended, he had one year left, but he extended to a similar situation with, you know, the money where Dame wants the extension. But I think Golden State offered what they did because they, they see what they have on their roster. They have veterans, they have young players that have been drafted that they really like, and they've been able to bring in some free agents that have really stepped up Gary Payton, uh, you know, uh, Otto Porter jr. They've, they have a really nice mix. And for the last few years, it, it, to me, it seems Portland is throwing darts at a wall and hoping they stick, you know, they're spending the money over and over like you alluded to, but there's not a lot to show for yeah. at least with the golden state warriors, you know, they extended, they're winning They're top two in the West right now. They look back to form. Clay comes back. Wiseman comes back. Th- their outlook now and in the future looks really good. Whereas in Portland, I don't necessarily know that I can say their future you gotta is any better really than hard it is now. And probably spend a lot of money to keep this thing afloat for the next five years, in my opinion. And that's, and that's assuming Dame doesn't decline too much, which is stupid. He's going to decline <laughs> just like Steph's going to decline. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's crazy not to us to build that into the conversation. So I, I really do think that extension or not, I, I don't think I, I asked Keith to evaluate if the extension would affect the trade. And it, to me, it only affects the trade. If you're trying to trade him in 2025, when there's two years, 106 million, you know what I mean? Like, Sure. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to have a problem at that point. So if I'm Portland, I'm not even thinking about this offseason. I'm going to trade them right now before this February deadline. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm calling the Lakers. I'm calling and, Boston. And- I'm calling Dallas. I'm calling Indiana to be a third team because they're going to be active. I'm calling all these middling teams and saying, he's here. You know, it, I, we need... A $35 million salary plus a first round pick. Let's go. You know what I mean? Like whatever it's going to be. And who's to say that Daryl Morey sees the writing on the wall that we've been talking about, a superstar that wants out. Why not just do Ben Simmons with some something else for Dame Lillard and bring him in? You know, everyone is caught on. It's going to be Simmons to Portland because Portland is going to want to keep Dame. Well, because Dame is essentially asked for that too, right? Right. So if it gets to a point where, you know, we, we just want to move them and the new GM says we, we can't take this financial hit anymore for the foreseeable future because of uh, luxury tax or having to keep spending and trading to bring people in and it's not going to work. Let's just reboot this. Then 
that's that's what you've been saying. Morey's been waiting for a team with a massive superstar to have some issues, and we are on the cusp of those issues. So I wouldn't be shocked if he he makes a a pitch for that. Russell Westbrook and Ben Simmons playing for the Portland Trailblazers <laughs> by February. How about that? How about that? A hey, two-way situation. I, I, it, I know. Yeah. They I, could blow it up I, right I, here. They could they could blow it up in, in two separate trades and make this thing work right now. Yeah. And and if they can get some picks out of it, yep. I, I'm not sure what the draft outlook is right now, but you know, we we've seen these teams go for the draft. You know, Philly was one of them. They 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 threw as many darts as they could and you know, they ended up with Simmons, they ended up with uh, Embiid and you know, know what though? It, Chauncey Billups is a doc descendant. I don't know that Ben Simmons wants any part of that. If I had to guess, <laughs> I'm surprised I haven't heard that out loud yet. That's yeah. Cause I, is, is I it what they aren't, don't like about him that he's pretty rash that he's been basically calling players out. Isn't exactly, yep. isn't yep. this exactly why Ben Simmons is in a mental health situation right now? Because doc basically threw him under the bus on live television. Right. Yeah, so maybe we shouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> no, no, we we definitely should because a- anything is doable in the NBA, and we're on the um, you know we're around the corner from December fifteenth yeah. when all these restrictions for signed free agents opens up. So I I don't think it's a coincidence that this information is coming out a week before multiple players could be traded in scenarios. Now, are we good? Is it going to be where teams are going to just start trading right out of the gate? No, you, we usually don't start seeing trades until, you know, January ish once they get through the holiday. But if a trade happens here at the end of December, I'm not going to be shocked one bit because of there's a lot of, there's a lot of major teams in the middle of the standings right now. And to me, that is a good news for the trade deadline. You know what I mean? The Knicks, like I said, Boston, uh, there's going to be some activity. There's no question in my mind. So I, uh, I'm looking forward to and that. I think we're about, I think you're right. I think next week's going to be the start of real conversations and you're right. Anything being pushed out there now is purposeful. Like, like and we if, know. You're a t- if you're a team, if you're a team in the middle, me as an organization, I, I sort of want to make that move now so that I can get those guys in from a chemistry standpoint. Yeah. And you know, if you can assess them and, and, and get them to know your system instead of waiting until, you know, late February, and then you only have them for what, two and a half months, two months, you know, I I'd rather get them in sooner than later, especially with how jam packed the, these, you know, play in spots are it, something's going to give good stuff. We'll talk soon. See ya. All right, my thanks to Scott and, of course, The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. And check out balancedbridgefunding.com today. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast. <laughs>